Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you. And Fizz Radio is on every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Thanks for joining us. A lot to get to with this game day for Syracuse basketball. Who's more important to the offense, the wings or the guards? We'll let you know later in the show. And also, a special guest joins the show, Craig Meyer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, to tell you everything you need to know about the Panthers. And there's plenty more that you need to know from the January 6th game. It's a replenished roster from their COVID-19 depleted squad that we saw a few days ago. But Thomas, we're going to begin today with the absence of Barama Sidibe, which might be the biggest dark cloud looming over Syracuse basketball right now. After the North Carolina game, Jim Beheim was asked, hey, what's going on with Barama Sidibe? He's been a game-time decision for, what, three games in a row, and he still hasn't played. And Beheim just insisted very adamantly, guy can't play. I'm not a doctor, but the guy just cannot play. So for the foreseeable future, who knows? Maybe he plays today. Maybe he plays next month. But Syracuse is without Barama Sidibe. What are their options without him? Because they're getting killed on the glass. I mean, I think we're seeing their options, Brad. It's Quincy Garrier, Merrick Dolezal. Maybe Jesse Edwards if one of those guys gets in foul trouble like they did against UNC. But if one of those guys gets in foul trouble, then they're kind of doomed. They don't have anybody else. Of course, Frank Anselm's out for a couple of weeks. Beheim said John Bolajak is just not ready either. He's just not physically ready to do that. And I, I think this is the biggest detriment of Syracuse basketball over the past few years is that they can recruit a guy who's tall or a guy who's got the heftiness and the weight of Quincy Garrier. They can't right. get a guy like Dayron Sharp of UNC who's both 6'11 and 265 pounds. So if a guy like Sidibe goes down, who's of course come through this program, he's a senior, he's kind of built up somewhat, I mean, in my opinion, he's still a little, little needs to put on some more weight, but he's built up some of the weight you need to be the center, and they just don't have a guy. So without Merrick Dolezal, if he has foul trouble, if Quincy Garrier has foul trouble, they just don't have any options. And I think really Syracuse fans and Syracuse is seeing that, that that's the biggest loss. Buddy Beheim missed some games. He came back. If any of these guys miss some games, there's players to replace them. There's not when it comes to Barama Sidibe. Look, that's fair, and, and you basically said it best. They're they're handcuffed. They don't have any other options. And 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 Jim Beheim even said we don't have a backup plan. It's Marekto Lejai, and if he were to get hurt, if he were to get into foul trouble, then we're gonna have to throw Jesse Edwards out there. But hey, Syracuse doesn't want to do that, and for good reason. He's he's not ready either, and he seems a little lost out there at times. He was promised. He was recruited as an offensive specialist, guy that can put the ball in the basket. He looked like he had the frame to grow into that prototypical big like you're longing for, Thomas, but he hasn't gotten there yet either. I do want to say this. I, this cannot be skipped over. You mentioned John Bolajak, not ready for ACC basketball, and it's true. But that being said, he redshirted last year. We're already halfway into this season. It's his second year on the Hill. He has to be ready. If you're not ready then it's an indictment on the coaching staff. And I understand some body types just don't grow into 250-pound frames. I get that. And John Bolajak is a naturally slim guy, but 
At the same time, it's up to Alan Griffin, the bigs coach, to get the bigs ready. Marek Dolajai took him three and a half years to put on 15 pounds. Good for him. Jesse Edwards still isn't ready. John Bolajak isn't ready. And for a guy like Barama Sidibe, who has had injury problems in the past, to basically only go into this season with a, a light, feathery Marek Dolajai at the five, it's, it's a little short-sighted, in my opinion. I understand Syracuse can only play with the players they have, but you got to develop the players you have, too. Well, and Brad, another thing is, sure, you can only play with the players you have, but in the offseason, there is a thing called the transfer portal. Yeah. There are plenty of guys, plenty of bigs out there. If you're saying, you know what, if Bram Sidibe goes down, Merrick Dolajai goes down, we really don't have a guy to replace them. Well, then go get somebody, because obviously, Syracuse, you're in a position where, look, you're going to have freshmen come in and they're not going to be ready. We've seen that. Bram Sidibe was the same way, so was Dolajai. But if they're not... Go get a junior, go get a senior, go get a grad transfer who is ready, who has at least got the physical components needed to play immediately. Now, of course, he's going to have to learn the 2-3 zone. That's a whole other thing. But he's going to have the size and the weight that you need that Syracuse just doesn't have. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to go get Olivier Saar, the Wake Forest center who transferred to Kentucky. That's a bit above their pay grade. But there are plenty of guys out there every single year where it's like, all right, if we have this problem, if we face this predicament down the road, let's handle it in the offseason because clearly we already know these guys aren't ready. So let's go find somebody who at least physically has the capability so you don't give up a ridiculous amount of rebounds against teams like UNC. And Brad, I want to give you a little bit of a stat here from Tuesday's game in Syracuse's 81-75 loss to the Tar Heels. Of course, they were out-rebounded as usual. They were out-rebounded against Pittsburgh, which we talked a, lot, a little bit about with Craig, uh, Chris Meyer. But... UNC had 24 offensive rebounds. They had 24 offensive, 24 <laughs> defensive. They out. They had more offensive rebounds than Syracuse had defensive rebounds. That's how poorly Syracuse is playing on the glass right now. It's ridiculous. It's it's unsustainable. And Derek Coleman even tweeted it out, said you can't win games like that. And that's a kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to all the Syracuse basketball fans out there that might be blind or deaf to the situation. Hey, yeah, if Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard shoot well, you might win a game here or there. But you need to rebound the basketball if you want to win in the ACC. And by the way, complete side note, Derek Coleman getting involved in Syracuse athletics again kind of throws out some hope for those Syracuse basketball fans that want him to be the bigs coach rather than the former guard Alan Griffin, who's had a tough time developing and recruiting those bigs. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you on the score 1260. It's Fizz Radio. We're taking you until 10 o'clock here in the morning on game day between Syracuse and Pittsburgh. And Thomas, we're talking about the bigs here. We're talking about the rebounding. And rebounding is certainly something that really haunted Syracuse in the Pittsburgh game. They lost. No surprise. Pittsburgh out-rebounded Syracuse by 16 in the first game on January 6th. They did that without four of their players, including their leading rebounder, Justin Champagny. He's out with a knee injury, I believe, so not COVID. But the fact is, Syracuse right now are playing an unsustainable model of basketball. Well, and they are. And the thing is, Pitt's not some rebounding juggernaut the way that UNC is. Like, you came into the, tar the game in Chapel Hill knowing... Yeah, they're going to get bodied on the boards. That was just something that was going to kind of happen. Pittsburgh, they were missing, of course, like you said, Brad, Justin Champagny. They were missing their backup center, a freshman named Josh Ugly, who's probably their second best rebounder. They just didn't have the guys to out-rebound any ACC opponent, but they still did it against the Syracuse team. And look, 
I know Merrick Dolajai is at a disadvantage here because he's undersized. He's stepping in for Barabasidi Bay, playing the five. Quincy Garrier's by far the team's best rebounder on the floor consistently. Garrier, if Garrier was even two inches taller at six foot nine instead of six foot seven, he'd probably play be playing the five right now. Quincy Garrier, you're yeah. right. He is doing everything. He is the best player. He's scoring. He's rebounding. And you watch a game like North Carolina. He goes for a 20-point double-double, and he's soaring in the first half. In the second half, North Carolina's doing whatever they can to stop him, and they still can't. Double teams, triple teams, nothing can stop Garrier right now. He's so well-rounded, and yet he's getting absolutely no help. Marek Dolajai can't help him. John Bolajak can't help him. Jesse Edwards can't help him. The entire roster is left shrugging their shoulders, saying, hey, thanks a lot, Quincy, but we can't help you right now. It's all up to you. No, he's done everything that they've asked and more. He's expanded his game immensely. And I mean, he's look, he's shooting 37% from three right now. Granted, just 27 attempts, but he's improved his game in every possible element. And I know the fans love Merrick Dolajai for a lot of great reasons. His intensity, of course, we just saw him lose a tooth this past week. But the only thing that Dolajai does not do well, and the thing that Syracuse really needs him to do well right now, is rebound the basketball. He's averaging 5.7 rebounds a game, which is less than Alan Griffin, less than Quincy Garrier. For the guy that's playing the 5, playing 35 minutes a game, you can't average 6 rebounds a game. They need him getting 8 to 9 at least forward to the game without Barama Sidibe to at least have a chance in ACC play without Barama Sidibe. And it's just, look, Dolajai's great at a lot of different things. Rebounding's just not one of them. Quincy Garrier, pretty solid rebounder, still undersized. They just don't have the answers anywhere on this roster in recruiting, it seems, to find somebody that can supplement for Barama Sidibe while he's out. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz is blowing steam early on on this edition of Fizz Radio, taking you until the 10 o'clock hour here on this game day between Syracuse and Pittsburgh basketball. And we're going to step aside, Thomas. I think both of us need a couple of deep breaths here. But when we return, the debate soars again. Who's more important to the offense, the wings or the guards? We'll let you know on the other side. It's Fizz Radio on the score, 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you until 10 o'clock here on this game day between Syracuse and Pittsburgh. And Thomas, we were talking about Barama Sidibe and the center situation for Syracuse, the rebounding situation. It's really not working. The thing that really seems to be working is the offense. And right now we have to debate who's more important to the offense, the wings or the guards. And right now, Thomas, I'm going to have to go with the guards because Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim are the buoy that keeps this ship afloat. When all else fails, when Quincy Garrier is overburdened, when Marek Dolajai just physically cannot do what Syracuse is asking him to do, you can always turn to the guards to hit a three. And that's the identity of this team. They're a three-point shooting team. So to me, this question is a no-brainer. It's definitely the guards. So, Brad, I'm going to have to disagree with you here, actually. I think coming into the season... The no-brainer decision and the thought process was, we can just turn to the guards. They're just going to hit a three whenever, and that's how we're going to solve our problems. As the season's gone on, that hasn't been the case. Joe Girard struggled. He's had his ups and downs. Buddy Beheim seems to be like he's on his 
regular progressive trajectory after this weird season postponements. He had his own issues as he was in quarantine. But I think overall, Quincy Gary is the guy who's taken that step. Alan Griffin is another one who's probably become the third best player on this roster this season. That's the most consistent position to me, and that's the guys that you need night in and night out. Because look, Buddy Beheim, Joe Gerard, sure they're going to maybe hit threes. Honestly, on a day-to-day basis, if you say, can you rely on Joe Girard for 12 to 15 points? I can't. Buddy Beheim probably. Alan Griffin, Quincy Garrier, I think you can get 25 to 30 out of them collectively a night. This is a pretty consistent thing with him. And Brad, I'm going to take it actually a point further. Not only do I think the wings are more important to this team than the guards, I think Quincy Garrier is the most important guy on this roster. I get it because, and it's an enticing pick because he's probably the best player on this roster. He is the best player on this roster, so it's an easy pick. And by the way, if you think this is good, check out our Twitter at OrangeFizz and our website, orangefizz.net, for more content like this. But Thomas, I got to disagree with you here because think about it. Quincy Guerrier is the best player on Syracuse right now, and he's playing the best. Marek Dolajai is a smart player. Alan Griffin is the, the creator that kind of fills the void that Elijah Hughes left. Sure, he's not Elijah Hughes, but he was a much-needed addition, and he's been a good addition for Syracuse. That being said, between Griffin, Garrier, and Dolajai, most teams have an answer for all of them. And in fact, most teams' answers are better. Like Dolajai, we, we like him because he's a smart player and he's a, he's a, a tough player that will take a charge against Zion Williamson. But what happens when you throw out a guy that has 50 pounds on him, like Jim Beheim said after the UNC game. Quincy Garrier is a bigger mismatch than a guy like Alan Griffin, but I feel like there are a lot of Alan Griffins in the world where Syracuse really differentiates themselves in the ACC and even the country is Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard. Most teams don't have a backcourt that can shoot that well. And when, you, when you're a team like Syracuse and you're really struggling in the conventional aspects of the game, okay, well, we're a basketball team without a true point guard. That's an X. Okay, well, we're a basketball team without our starting center. That's an X. And we can't rebound for our lives. Another X. But what can we do? Well, we might have the best backcourt, shooting backcourt in the conference. So, Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim. that's the answer. And that has to be the answer. That's the thing. Who's more important to the offense, the wings or the guards? The question is not who's better. The question is, who's more important? And Syracuse is not going anywhere if Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard can't shoot. You saw it in the second half Quincy in the, of the UNC game, Thomas. Quincy Garrier soared, and Buddy Beheim was doubled in the second half. He had 18 at the break. He was silenced in the second, and Syracuse loses the game. Well, so here's the thing, Brad, and you can check out this article, article I wrote on orangefizz.net about if Syracuse should switch strategies. Alan Griffin and Quincy Garrier are both shooting higher percentages from three than Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim. Now, Quincy Garrier has only attempted 27 threes. He's not going to be shooting at the clip that any of those other three are. But Alan Griffin's attempted the most threes out of those guys. He's shooting 36%. Buddy Beheim right now, a pretty paltry 31%. Obviously, that's going to go up. The thing is, we went into this season thinking, if Syracuse can't shoot the three, 
they're probably going to lose. They're not They're not really going to have an answer. Turns out they do have an answer, and they can switch to this different alternative way to win, which we didn't really know was going to be there heading into the start of the season. The thing is, I think there is an answer that most teams have to Joe Girard. That's just put bigger guys on him. Joe Girard, at best, is six feet tall. He doesn't have the quickness to get around guys. That's why Kadari Richmond, in a lot of situations, is a better guy to have on the floor. And we've written about Kadari at immense expense this year on orangefizz.net but i think look if joe gerard isn't shooting well and oftentimes he hasn't been he doesn't bring anything positive to the floor there's a lot of bad defense he's gonna ho hoist up a lot of reckless shots and he can't drive to the hoop buddy Beheim, i think a lot of teams kind of underplay they think he's not as good as he actually turns out to be because they think all right we gotta watch out for this guy's a spot shooter if he gets the ball, he doesn't have to dribble. He just goes up, shoots it. He can do that, but he's also expanded his game to be a driver. He can hit you with a fadeaway, the off-dribble pull-up. But even with that, even with him giving you 15 points a game, he doesn't match that athleticism that you get with Quincy Gary or Alan Griffin, two guys who can really block anybody in the conference despite their height disadvantages. And he doesn't give you, so far, the three-point percentage that they're shooting. And besides that, I mean, look, these are two guys, Griffin and Gary, who can score in the paint. They can score high to low. It doesn't matter. And on defense, they're immensely better. This forward position for Syracuse, the wing spot, is just a spot that has turned out to be the biggest strength and for them the most important one because in in large part because of the poor play of the guards. But I think what it really comes down to is when Joe Girard is hot, he's, un he's just not replaceable. That's the thing. Girard went hot he, he's lethal, and you can say what you want about his height or whatever else, whatever other shortcoming you want, but when he scores in double figures, Syracuse is 4-0, Thomas. And you could say, again, he has laid eggs. I'm not saying that he hasn't. And he's had a flawed season. He absolutely has. The argument is not that Alan Griffin is not as good as Joe Girard. The argument is that Joe Girard, his performance on any given night is more important than Alan Griffin's. You cannot replace a, Ger a hot Gerard Knight with any other player stepping up. Alan Griffin stepping up, you can. Quincy Guerrier having a good night, getting some production from Marek Dolajai, it's a little different. But when Gerard is hot, that stretches an, uh, rather a defense out, and it really makes you respect him. And then that's when you really start to see Gerard as a better facilitator because, again, that's another knock on his game that he's not a natural point guard. Well, it's easy to be a natural point guard when everyone thinks you're going to shoot. The passing lanes open up. That's what happens. So when he goes off for 18, 19, 22 points, Syracuse is 4-0, and it's no surprise. But here's the thing, Brad, and I think this is kind of the epitome of the argument here. If you're Jim Beheim or if you're Syracuse's coaching staff, do you want to put more importance on a guy who's scoring in double digits just 40% of your games? Or do you want to put that more importance and shoulder the pressure on guys like Alan Griffin, who, yes, is still inconsistent, or Quincy Garrier, who's probably been your most consistent player this year, guys who have shown up day in and day out and haven't been absent in games against Rutgers or Pittsburgh or North Carolina. I mean, besides Boston College, Joe Girard has yet to score double digits in an ACC game, and that's a problem that really he st stems from last season is he's just struggling to score against higher competition. I suppose we're just going to forget about that egg that Alan Gr Griffin laid against Northeastern. <laughs> Talking about ACC teams, Alan Griffin was nowhere to be found against the Huskies. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like, I'm not saying Alan Griffin's perfect. He's also somewhat inconsistent himself. That's true. He's 
been more consistent than Joe Girard, and I think that's kind of the premise of my argument is here, is that, look, Alan Griffin has scored double digits in all but two games that Syracuse has played. Of course, one is that goose egg against Northeastern. The other one's when he had nine points against Georgetown. Besides that, he scored double digits, and he's averaging 15.6 points per game. With him and Quincy Gary, you're getting guys who we've already talked about better, but just more important who should shoulder your offense game to game, game to game, rather than relying on these guards who are pretty hit and miss. Score down low, and then once you score down low, both those guys, Alan Griffin and Quincy Garrier, can open it up from the outside, and once they start getting going, that makes it a lot easier for Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim to get open shots from three and start knocking down those shots to get the whole offense going. Well, guards versus wings, guards versus forwards, I think we can both agree that whoever's most important, it's they're all going to be important against Pittsburgh. That's the next opponent, and we're going to preview that next opponent. That's today, by the way, game day between Syracuse and Pittsburgh basketball. Who better to talk Panthers basketball than Craig Meyer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette? You're not going to want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz joined by a very special guest, Craig Meyer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to preview this Syracuse and Pittsburgh, well, rematch on the hardwood. And Craig, thanks so much for taking the time. Hey guys, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm, I fear that you oversold me though with the very special label. Oh, very special. Come on. I mean, let, let's get real here. Look, Pittsburgh has a lot of question marks and we need someone to answer them. The question marks really start with the COVID situation. There were a lot of Panthers out a few days ago on January 6th because of contact tracing. Who's going to play? I mean, it's, it's a very simple question, but it might be a complex answer. So we had talked with uh, Jeff Capel on Monday, and he said that they had a full team practice. Everybody, uh, everybody was there for him. I haven't gotten anywhere that the, the situation has changed since then. Um, so Pitt will... Barring anything changing, Pitt will have the three guys that uh, that they were that they were missing for that game. So they'll have uh, Nike Sabandi, who's a shooting guard for him, kind of you know a nice sort of secondary or like you know fourth, fifth or third, fourth or fifth or fifth scorer for him. Then they'll have uh, J- uh, John Hughley, a big-bodied center, um, and then uh, Noah Collier, who's a six-eight freshman, kind of a rangy guy, a bit of a you know a bit kind of more of a three or a four who like in a pinch can, uh, can uh, play the five. So they, again, barring any positive tests that come up, which as we've seen over these few months, that's certainly possible. Um, but barring that though, Pitt will have a full roster. Now, Craig, the last time these two teams was actually the last game for Pittsburgh. And then of course they've had the two cancellations. Is their strategy coming into this game today on Saturday any different than the last time these two teams faced off? I would have to think that some adjustments would be made. I mean, I think that's one of the challenges of playing a team for the second time in 10 days. Um, but I guess maybe more like a more simplistic way of kind of uh, looking at it. It's like, you know, the way that they see it is Syracuse may only be changing things up so much. It's like spoiler alert, guys. They're going to be playing a 2-3 zone. They're long and athletic. Like, you know, things there only change so much. I would be intrigued um, to see maybe who they who they kind of streak into some of those weak spots in, like, uh, in the zone. Like, who are the guys who maybe 
want to try putting in the high post or the, or the a short corner. Like, I, I don't know whether that's a spot that they would put Hughley or Collier who had both, you know, who'd both missed the previous game, but those are still both guys who, especially Collier play kind of more of a, you know, they play more of a limited role. They're guys who probably max out at like 15 minutes a game. Um, obviously foul trouble can change things and they can unexpectedly play like 20 or 25. We had, kind of seen that in the first matchup between the uh, two teams when Terrell Brown, who was averaging about six minutes a game, ended up playing 21. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of the way that their big, that their bigs have worked this year where they don't have sort of a, a dominant one. So they kind of ride the hot hand a little bit. That, that, that'd be one of the only things I can really envision changing, but it also will be interesting to see too, how Xavier Johnson, the point guard factors in because he had gotten two fouls the first five minutes of that game, sat the rest of the first half, played the entire second half, I think. Um, and he was someone who was pretty instrumental in their comeback. Um, so if he can stay out of foul trouble, which for him has been a big if. I mean, he's he's gotten early fouls, and I probably want to say the team's past four games, um, which has obviously felt like an eternity because it's covered like a month and a half. But um, – he would be somebody else I think would maybe factor in a little bit more to this matchup than he did the first one. Talking to Craig Meyer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, previewing the Syracuse-Pittsburgh basketball game round two in the 2020-2021 season, really just the 2021 season, if you will. But, uh, Craig, you talk about a lot of different names there, and you mentioned Xavier Johnson. We know how dangerous he can be if he stays out of foul trouble, and it's basically a replenished roster like you mentioned because – of contact tracing, that's no longer really an obstacle for Jeff Capel's squad. So who's that one player in your eyes that Syracuse fans should really be looking out for uh, in this matchup? I think it'll probably be uh, Audis Tony. Um, he was someone in the first matchup, got 12 points, 14 rebounds. You know, Pitted had a big they, – they had a big advantage in offensive rebounding. At 21, I think Syracuse only had nine and pick out some like 21, 22 second chance points off that. And Tony was one of the big reasons for it. Um, he's a 6'6 guy. He's played a little bit more on the wing this season. He was kind of more of a like de facto four in his first couple of years at Pitt. Um, but as it added a little more size to the roster, he's been able to kind of venture a little further away from the basket. Um, but with uh, Justin Champagne, the team star player, leading rebounder out, um, he's uh, someone who's kind of had to move back into that role a little bit, be counted on a little bit more as a rebounder and sort of a, an occasional Lopez presence for him. Um, and he's someone that you see a lot that in those, in those uh, situations I talked about earlier where they want him to kind of flash into the high post or short corner. You know, he's uh, someone who can knock down those uh, mid-range jump shots pretty well. Um, so I would figure for him to – still be a pretty big part of, of what that team does offensively and especially defensively too. He's, he's the team's best defensive player. Um, you know, he's, he's a, someone who can switch on to any number uh, of opposing players. So I guess in some ways it'll kind of depend for Syracuse on maybe who, uh, maybe who's a hot that game. Like he can defend Alan Griffin. He could defend uh, Buddy Beheim. I always forget which one because there's the one that there's the one at uh, Cornell or I guess he's not at Cornell anymore, but he, um, um, and then uh, all the Bayheims can shoot. It runs. All of them can shoot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he can basically be someone and they've done, they've done some previous years with uh, Keys where 
he, he, where he kind of switches on to the hot hand um, if things are, you know, if uh, someone starts to make a few shots, uh, you know, starts to make a few shots in a row. So he would be, for Syracuse fans, the guy I would really look out for. Um, you know, and I think after the first game he had, he's, I'm sure, someone who's very prominently featured on the Syracuse scouting report. Now, Craig, obviously – Incredibly weird year with the pandemic and everything. A lot of cancellations, postponements, reschedulings. And we talked about a little bit earlier how Pittsburgh's last game 10 days ago Saturday came against Syracuse. And now that their next game is again today against Syracuse. What is it like for them? Have they said anything, Jeff Capel or his squad, about what it's like when you have the same opponent in strangely back-to-back games and how that affects them at all? Yeah, Capel was asked about after the game on um, after the game on the six, um, and he was, you know, he was saying, yeah, it's a really weird situation. I mean, they were because originally they were set to play on February thirteenth, and this would have been their first game here coming up on Saturday. Uh, but they, I feel like they've had that a few times with him, where they've had relatively short turnarounds. Where I think they had it with Louisville a couple years ago, where they played them within like a week and a half span. Um, I think for a team like Syracuse that plays that plays that zone, like it probably in some ways may benefit Pitt where they're used to planning for it a little bit, um, especially with a team that's got a decent uh, decent number of uh, freshmen in the rotation who aren't used to playing against it. I don't even know if I'd call it like muscle memory, but they're they're sort of accustomed to playing against it. Um, they sort of remember the concepts and the things that they really have to focus on. So it's definitely weird. Um, but I mean, this has also been just a weird season for them. They, um, they had played against uh, Northern Illinois earlier in the season. That game got scheduled three days before it was set to be played. Even the first Syracuse game, like that game was played on a Wednesday. They, it didn't get put on the you know, schedule until that Sunday beforehand. So I think this is a this is a group of guys that you know. And I think this applies to a lot of teams across college basketball. You know, you know, Syracuse included. I mean, that matchup was dropped on their laps. They were prepping for a Florida State beforehand. Then you shift the pit, which you know presents its own set of challenges. Although Florida State, I'm sure, is the better team. Um, yeah, it's just something that everybody's kind of had to deal with. Is they really try to wedge a season in here during a pandemic? So, I mean, look, we know how dangerous Xavier Johnson can be, as we mentioned before. And maybe it was just the zone, maybe it was the foul trouble, but he went 3 of 14 in the previous game in in Pittsburgh's January 6th win over Syracuse. What went wrong for Johnson? How can you write that wrong? It's tough for him because he's a pretty streaky shooter. Um, He has a really unorthodox form. Um, He's someone who, like, generally, when you look at his uh, numbers, like, I mean, from three, he shoots something like, you know, 34, 35%, which, I mean, for Pitt, they're not a great three-point shooting team. They haven't been for, for you know, for a, a few years here outside of like a guy or two. Um, so that's a mark that's pretty good for them. Um, I think part of it, too, he had a couple shots blocked. Um, I think in some cases, they still don't really have like a low post guy who, when he makes those drives, who he can really dump it off to. Um, you know, kind of count on that person t- uh, to get a bucket for him. I would say Hughley is probably the, the uh, even being a freshman, the closest guy that they have to that. He he obviously didn't play in the last game, so I think that I think that defenders can see that sometimes that if he's driving, especially in transition, he sort of has his eyes locked on the basket, 
and they can time it to okay well when you know when like I know when this guy like the whole sequence as far as his dribbles and steps like I know when he's going to pull up I can time this and I can block a shot so I think that factored into it too I think Alan Griffin blocked him a couple times in those kind of uh, situations so um, I mean the depth perception is something that people talk a lot about with uh, the dome um, for Johnson I mean he's a junior he's played there two previous times I don't necessarily know how much weight that holds um, but yeah, he's, he's a guy who's just kind of a, 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 a streaky shooter. He'll go, as you mentioned, 3 of 14 that game. But we saw it in that game, too, where he was 2 of 13, and he pulled up and made a game-tying shot with like a minute and a half left. Um, so he's someone who certainly doesn't lack for confidence. Um, but he's also someone who, yeah, he can have that game. He can have that kind of game one day and then turn around a few days later, although in this case it would be 10 days later, and go like – eight go eight of 13 and have 22 points and you know nine assists he's just kind of a he's a little bit of an uneven guy Greg you mentioned that Pittsburgh doesn't really have a low post guy even so last game they out rebounded Syracuse by 16 of course Baramas Vibe Syracuse center didn't play then he's still recovering from that injury on will play on Saturday do you think Pittsburgh even though they don't have Justin Champagne still can replicate their 16-plus rebound performance last time these two teams squared off? I think they could. Um, you know, he, uh, with John Healy coming back, he might be the team's best rebounder outside of uh, Justin Champagne. Someone, he's 6'9", two, uh, and 240. He's got a pretty wide frame where even being a freshman, he's still kind of figuring out how to use that against guys who are, you know, who are, who I guess are more peers with him physically as opposed to high school when you can just dominate everyone. So he's still kind of figuring that out a bit. So he could be someone I think would factor in there. Um, Audis Tony, obviously coming off the 14 rebounds in the first matchup, that'll be, I don't think that he'll be able to, to replicate that. I mean, that was just sort of a special combination of factors. I mean, I think with, with a Champagne being out, he's someone who, on a good night, it's probably flirting, uh, you know, with a double-digit rebounds, but not to that same extent. Um, that'd be what – I mean, I think it is possible in some ways. I, I don't know if the disparity will be quite as, as as a stark, but, I mean, it's one thing everybody says with the zone is that it's sort of susceptible to giving up offensive boards just because they're so spread out uh, on the court. And when you're without a guy like Sidibe, if they are, in fact, without him for this game – you're down one of your biggest, I guess, most impactful guys in that area. And, um, you know, with the Gary being in foul trouble in that game too, um, it was sort of a, it was, I don't want to call it a perfect storm, but it was, it, it, it was a set of factors that was beneficial to Pitt. I don't think they'll be able to replicate it, but I think that they can still hold an advantage in that area. Craig Meyer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette telling us that the stars aligned for the Panthers in Jan on January 6th. Question is, will the same happen this time around? I'm going to put you on the spot, Craig. Score prediction. Maybe Gary A gets into foul trouble. Maybe Sidibe plays. That's a big variable here. Nonetheless, I'm asking for it. Who's going to win by how much? I guess I kind of <laughs> I look kind of like a jerk going into the last game because I talked to someone about it. And I predicted that I was like, and eh, with that champagne, like I just I really don't see them winning at all. So um, I'm not gonna. I part of me still has trouble seeing them being Syracuse twice in one season. Um, 
you know, Pitt's three-point defense has been pretty good this year, but I also – that's something that I don't think, like, transfers that much from uh, from game to game. I mean, Syracuse took some pretty reckless shots that game. I mean, that was part of what made that comeback possible. But they also missed some pretty good looks. So I don't necessarily think that'll happen again. I'll go Syracuse. Um, I think it'll be close. I'll go, I'll go Syracuse um, uh, 69 to 64. Well, Craig, we said at the beginning of the segment that you were a special guest. You didn't believe me, but when you, when the guy from Pittsburgh says that Syracuse is going to win, you're only making my case. Thanks so much for taking the time. And thanks so much for telling us the prophecy here that Syracuse will beat Pittsburgh and they'll write the ship here. Hey guys, thank you. All right, well, when we return, Fizz Feedback on the other side. We heard from the expert. Now it's time to hear from you. It's our favorite segment. It's your favorite segment. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you for closing time, and that means it's Fizz Feedback. Thomas, what do you have? All right, our first Fizz feedback today, Brad. How can Syracuse clean up the glass while Sidibe is sidelined? The options, more from Edwards. It's up to Marek slash Quincy. It's hopeless or other comment below. And I'll read out our first other comment. Ethan Zombeck, in all caps, says Braswell. I think to an extent he's right, but look, man. Braswell's only six foot seven. He's not exactly going to be the guy to solve it down low either. He's more of a shooter. But with 48%, it's hopeless wins. And then followed by... Marek Quincy, 31.4%. 15.7 say, let's get more from Edwards going. Um, I think, look, it's kind of depressing if you're a Syracuse fan. But we talked about it earlier, Brad. It seems kind of hopeless for the Orange until Sadibe returns. Yeah, can my answer be both A and C? Because they're going to have to turn to Edwards, but that is a hopeless feat. So, hopeless. Yeah, it's uh, it's doom and gloom until Sidibe returns. We'll see what that is, when that is. But our fizz feedback number two, Brad, what are you looking for from Joe Girard each game? 5 to 10 points, 10 to 15 points, a few three-point three field goals, some turnovers, and you know what? Scrap it. It's time to start Kadari Richmond. And pretty overwhelmingly here, there's two options with fizz feedback. 49.4% say time to start Kadari Richmond. 43.2% say... Uh, give me 10 to 15 points a game from Joe Girard. I'm going to be honest here, Brad. Girard, my expectations have lowered for him. Going into the season, I'd say, I want to see him give 15 points, four or five assists a game at this point. If he can give me three or four three-pointers, maybe a couple turnovers a game, I'm pretty satisfied with where Joe Girard stands in that regard. Well, three or four three-pointers is pretty good. That's yeah. He's going to turn points. the ball over. That's, that's just the nature of, of Joe Girard right now. But to be fair, Kadari Richmond's going to do that too. So if that's really the variable, then at least Joe Girard's going to hit a three here and there, and Kadari Richmond's certainly not right now. I refuse to start Kadari Richmond over Joe Girard. I think he's too raw. Do I think he's a better player? Maybe. Do I think he will be a a better player? Absolutely. But Joe Girard right now, for the team's identity and the team's needs, he's the three-point shooter. It's a team that probably needs to ride and die on the three ball. So... I'm going to keep Gerard in there. And with that, I kind of have to pick option B, right? Like 10 to 15 points. 15 is on a very good night. I feel like 10 is pretty much exactly what you ask for from Joe Gerard. Yeah, I think you're just looking for him to reach double digits at this point, right? Like he can't give you zero to two to five a game, but if he can reach, 
it's kind of disappointing, Brad, because at the beginning of the season, I think most people would have thought, yeah, I want to see 15 points a game from Joe Girard. He averaged 12 last season. Let's see a little bit of an uptick. But right now, if he's giving you double digits, you got to be pretty satisfied with the sophomore. All right, so we have one more Fizz feedback. Thomas, cap it off. Our last Fizz feedback of the day, Brad, revolves around maybe the biggest question mark for Syracuse right now. When will Barama Sidibe return, and what are your expectations for the center once he returns? Our options, same production, growing pains, Barama reborn, or other comment below. We'll start with those comments. Mark Hansen and Robert Masuris both say he's never healthy. I don't really think he comes back for the rest of the season. Chris Makata of Fizz Nation says he was good for like eight games last season. Everyone's overrating him, thinking he'll be the player that he was down the stretch. I disagree there. I think he kind of is that guy. He turned a corner. And so in our poll, 52% of Fizz Nation said there's going to be growing pains once Baram Sidibe returns. He's not going to be the guy right off the bat. There's going to be some time where he acclimates to getting back, playing with his team that, frankly, he's never played a full game with. And I agree with Fizz Nation there. I think, look, he's going to be that guy who you can kind of rely on to get, you know, 12 points, 8 rebounds. The guy that he was down the stretch last season, but this is a long-term injury, and he's playing with a lot of guys, Alan Griffin, Kadari Richmond, Woody Newton when he's in, even Robert Braswell, that he doesn't have a lot of time playing with. So once he returns, he's going to get back to that point, but it's going to take some time. I get it. It's There are going to be some growing pains when Barama Sidibe comes back, but at this point, Syracuse fans, they just have to be frustrated. They see what they don't, what they are missing in Barama Sidibe in a game like North Carolina, in a game like Pittsburgh, and guess what? Just to forecast it, you'll probably see more of that, the rebounding troubles in, this, in today's game against Pittsburgh, round two. But at the same time, when Sidibe is actually playing for Syracuse, He's an infuriating player. You always want more, and you always feel like he's underperforming, except for those eight games. So I don't know what to expect from Barama Sidibe when he comes back. You can't expect anything because, like Fizz Nation kind of alluded to, he's never healthy. And the, the annoying part is he's your only option. And I'm pretty sure he's going to take, uh, take advantage of the extra year because of COVID. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be back either way, which is, only uh, an incentive for him to sit the rest of the year but if he does Syracuse is doomed because Frank Anselm being out for two weeks he was the only player ironically as a true freshman versus uh, Jesse Edwards the sophomore and and uh, John Bullitt Jock as the redshirt freshman he was the only big behind Sidibe uh, assuming Dolajai doesn't count that was actually producing and actually showed some glimpses of promise and now he's out for two weeks no, I mean, I agree, Brad. Frank Anselm, you just look at him. He looks more so than any other player on this roster like an ACC center. Yeah, and that's even frame. including Barama Sidibe. Yeah, I don't even think he's ready yet. And I, I don't think Jim Beheim would tell you, hey, Frank Anselm is ready to start in the ACC tomorrow. He's not. But you can see that he has more room to grow. Jumble Ajak just doesn't look like he has the shoulders for it. No, and I mean, Jesse Edwards to the same extent, like you look at Frank Anselm, he's probably got the biggest shoulders on the roster, and of course, he's still incredibly raw, but the guy's got a, what, 7-6 wingspan? I mean, the freakish athleticism and abilities that you can just think of and imagine when you look at Frank Anselm as just a low-post defender and a guy who can go get his own bucket, too, is something Syracuse hasn't had in quite some time, but I mean, look, let's, if we're saying Barabbas Adibay is probably going to come back in this year, um... I don't know how, if he is healthy, people can expect him to 
maybe regress to the level of last year before he went on that eight-game stretch. I, look, I mean, it's a small sample size, but it really did truly look like he turned a corner. Well, that's all we have for you on this edition of Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz, and we'll see you next time.